We are fresh off, as Chelsea said, the Easter season, and uh, I think uh, that we love that season. It's where we find uh, the meaning and significance uh, in our lives. Uh, those events that surround Easter do a really good job of reminding ourselves of the majesty and the power of God that is beautifully intertwined with God's suffering, his love, his humility, his peace, and the resurrection and the cross. Uh, Easter is such an important event for us because it reminds our soul. It makes us reflect on what it really means to be a Christian, what it really means to be a child of God. But what we often do because we're so programmatic in our holiday celebrations, like we just move from one holiday to the next that I need to put this up, I need to start buying for this. There's probably somebody in here that has Christmas decorations up right now. Probably. We just, we love to just celebrate seasons of holidays. So what we can do is take all that reflection, all of that significance, all of that learning and comprehension around the season of Easter, and we can put it away in boxes, much like our Easter bunnies, our eggs, and our baskets. We put it in the closet to be celebrated next year instead of living in light of the resurrection. We like to celebrate it in the season, but Easter is more than a season. Easter is the very power of the Christian to live and thrive in this world that is not your home. We are to live in light of it. And so today, what we want to consider for the faithful, for those who believe in Christ, that the resurrection itself, Christ's resurrection, means that you have been raised from the dead too, that you are raised into his newness of life, and that life should have a distinct flavor it actually should have a distinct way that is different than the way the world compels us to live. And so our normal course of action here on a Sunday is to take a book of the Bible, to walk through it week by week, to study it, to learn it, to anchor ourselves to God, God's unchanging word through preaching and devoted study. But every once in a while, we want to elevate a thought or an idea that's so pervasive in Scripture that we believe that in learning it and having greater understanding of it, it will, it will play out in our lives in better practicality and more inv- impact. And so today, we're going to elevate living in light of the resurrection. In light of the resurrection, how are we as Christians, Christians, those of faith, to believe or to, to live? And so what we said, common practice in the movement of Christianity to be celebratory around the events of the crucifixion and the resurrection because God dealt a final blow to death that Jesus on the cross dealt with our sin. His resurrection brings us grace Grace that we have access through by Christ. Grace by faith in Christ. And and we have great celebration around the idea that God has made it possible for us to have eternal life. And that's great. It's an amazing thing to consider that God so loved us that he removed the separation from us and God that we have eternal life in him. But what we fall short of doing is, is comprehending or desiring that the, the cross and the resurrection didn't just purchase you away from separation from God in eternity, but rather the resurrection purchased all of you, your living and your death, your life here on this earth and your life in eternity. Romans 
14 compels this to us. Paul writes this. He says, for none of us lives, he's talking about Christians here, for none of us lives for himself, and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. Christ is Lord over the dead and the living. And so the implications of Easter aren't just that for the Christian you have a guarantee of eternal life, that by belief, that by confession, you get heaven, you get eternity as some sort of security blanket that if things in this world go poorly, when I die, then I'm going to get heaven as if it's some sort of box that we want to check. A box that we check and then we say, I got that taken care of and now I can just go live the way that I want to live. That's not what Christ purchased you from. Not just your death, but your living. Friends, God's word says that we belong to the Lord. That means ownership. You are owned, belonged to God in both your living and dying. That Christ's death and his return to life means that he's Lord over both the dead and the living. And so here's this. For you and I, for those in Christ, Easter implies that you were purchased entirely. And in light of that, our lives are no longer, they no longer belong to ourselves. Christ is Lord over your eternity and your living. One of the things that Scripture kind of presents in its pages is this idea that for the Christian, Life should increasingly be less and less about myself and my desires and my want and my will. It should be less and less about my wisdom and more about Jesus. Uh, The word records that we all were once slaves to sin. We all served our own selfish desires. But in Christ, when he purchased you on, your cro- on the cross, you were made slaves to righteousness. And Paul, in his, in his writing, says, I, I use these words to help you understand. You know, slaves, kind of a cruel word. But he puts it there to, for you to understand that it's only about Jesus. Nothing else matters. You are a slave to his righteousness. You need him that much. And then the word goes on to talk about how you and I, in the resurrection, are made ambassadors of Christ. This is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians to the church in Corinth. He writes this, chapter 5, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. To be an ambassador is simply to be in an official position where you are representation of another body or person. And you are ambassadors of the living God, Christ. You are to be little Christ to the world around you that you interact, not in divinity, but in lifestyle. 
and in hope. You are to be little Christ to the world that you interact with. And the word says that you are partners in reconciliation. And what that means is that we are to tell the world that there is peace between God and man through Christ. That we can stand by grace, through faith, in Christ. We can stand in front of a holy God and have right standing because our righteousness is not based upon us. It's based upon Christ. We are hidden in Christ. And so when God sees us, he sees us through the lens of the perfection of his son, Jesus. We are agents of reconciliation to bring that hope into the world. And so for you and I, Christian, that is the only significance to our life. That is the only thing that matters in our life. Nothing else matters outside you being an ambassador to Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ. We are aliens, the word says, in a foreign land. This world is not your home. It has nothing for you. Your real home is with your father, your true father, who someday will come down and establish an everlasting kingdom on this earth. And we are to live with that reality in mind, a reality that is only made possible for us through the resurrection and the death of Christ. Now, on a practical level, what that means for you and I is that in the practicalities of living in this world, in our day-to-day needs of survival, in our jobs, our incomes, our, uh, our desires, our wisdom, our talents, even our own families, what that means is those things are not ends for your own personal, selfish enjoyment and satisfaction. Not that there are not enjoyments and satisfaction in those things innately, but for the Christian, when we study God's word and are led by the Holy Spirit, we know that we don't own any of those things. I don't own my family. I don't own my income. I don't even own my life. But rather, all of those things are platforms and supplications and opportunities for me to live out my true identity as a follower as an ambassador of Christ. Whatever title that you have in this world, whether it be a title based upon what you do, whether you're an accountant, a painter, a nurse, a receptionist, whether you're a farmer, those are all roles that you play as an ambassador of Christ. Whether you're a mom or a dad, a sister or a brother, daughter or son, these are roles that you play. You are simply being a vehicle. They are vehicles for you to be God's ambassador to the world. You have one job, ambassador. The roles that you play on this earth are all descriptions, responsibilities of being an ambassador of God. Now, God does give particular gifts to certain people, like evangelists, teachers, pastors, prophets. He does raise up people in a special kind of calling, but there's a general calling for every one of us that is in faith to be an ambassador, to be little Christ in our world. It is the only job that you will be held accountable for on the day of judgment. Every one of you, whether you know it or not or believe it, you are in ministry. Every one of you, 
Ministry is not something left for the professionals. Ministry is something that we all do because we are all ambassadors of Christ. And so today, essentially, all I I want to share with you are just two ideas, two thoughts that I think are important when we live a life as a Christian. Uh, Number one is this. It's not about you, me, anymore. It's just not about me. My life in Christ is not about me anymore. The second one is, is because my life isn't about me, then I must get myself out of the equation. I must remove myself from the equations of life here on earth for God's glory, and listen, for my own joy. I have to get myself out of the situations of life. You know, Paul writes this in, in 1 Corinthians, and he's talking about sexual immorality, and, and he, he says this about our bodies. He says, do you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? All of us, by faith in Christ, have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought at a price So glorify God with your body. And so according to this scripture, what the Apostle Paul writes is that we have to learn that those of faith, like listen, you're not your own. You you don't belong to yourself. You are merely a temple for the Holy Spirit. You know, last week in our Easter service, we, we compelled a verse a group of verses that talked about the death of Christ. And and we learned that on the cross, when he died, that in the temple, in the holy of holies, the very presence of God, where God lived in that time, in the temple, in this holy of holies, there was a curtain that was ripped from the top down. And what is significant about that is it says that God no longer lives in buildings, but he lives in his people. Those who are of faith, you are the very home of a holy God who wants to work in you and through you. And the reason that we're not our own is because you were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. So when I I go to Costco, which is like every week, uh, and I purchase items from it, what, Costco, like it's like the Statue of Liberty of consumerism in our culture. Like you can walk into like Costco and you'll see a box of 100 pounds of pasta, and you'll think, no way. No way somebody needs that. But I guarantee you, the next week, somewhere in your day, you're going to go, you know what would be good right now? 100 pounds of pasta. Somehow I feel like I need that right now. But anyways, we we go to Costco every week, and I buy things. And and when I bring those items home, I'm the rightful owner. My purchasing of them means that I get to do with them what I want to do with them. And so if I want to take the t-shirt that I bought at Costco and make it into my shop rag, it is within my purposes and my pleasure to do so because I own it. I purchased it. And in the same way, you have to understand that there was a transaction that happened on the cross and in the new life of Christ where Jesus purchased from a wicked world of sin a group of people that would be his own. Like he bought 
a people that would be his own by grace through faith in Christ. When we come to faith, it's not a recognition of Jesus being something that I like, that I want to be a part of. No, it's a surrender to say, I can't, Jesus. I'm not good enough for my life. I'm not good enough for my wife. I'm not good enough for my kids. I'm not good enough for my job. The only thing that's going to help me in this life is, God, for you to live through me. It is necessary, God, that you take control. That is the means of being a Christian. That is surrender to him because he bought you with a price. He bought you. And because he bought you, it is no longer about you. It's no longer about you. And so whatever God wants in his goodness, because he's good, in his good pleasure, in his plan, whatever he wants to do with my life, he gets to. He gets to. He has the right because he purchased me. He saved me. He saved me. I am simply a precious vessel of his with unique talents and skills that I'm to bring under the name of Christ, to bring glory to the name of Christ and not myself, to bring and make famous the name of Christ to the world. It doesn't matter the titles or titles that you have in this community, on this earth, you have one life-defining job, ambassador, little Christ to the world. Everything else in your life is a platform, an opportunity, or a supplication to that identity. You are to be a telescope to the world that they may look through your life and see the beauty and the goodness and the power of a living God up close. Now because of, not because of how we live, but how dependent we are to serve for him. And so listen, friends, you're, you're going to travel across this life. You're going to walk through a world that is hostile, that's fallen, that's broken, and you're going to have to deal with realities in this world and its madness that, quite frankly, are not the way God intended for you to live. You're going to have to deal with difficulties and struggles that God did not want in his good creation. But he allows us to go through those things. He allows us to go through those things that are hard and difficult. And so whatever the course of my life may be, whether we lose a loved one, whether we lose a child, whether you lose a grandson, whether you hear the word cancer or fatal, whether you are hurt in an accident or hurt by the words of your family, you have a redemptive God who loves you who bought you and wants to leverage every circumstance in your life to bring hope to a world that is in decay and despair. He wants to leverage everything in your life, no matter what your affliction, your struggle, or tragedy, because it's not about me anymore. It's not about me. And listen, because it's not about me anymore, I have got to get myself out of the equations of life. I've got to get out of the way. I must surrender to God the areas that I want control over. I ain't giving you that, God. 
The areas of my life that I want to be selfish over, the areas of my life that I have pride in, I have to give them away. I have to let them go and give them to God. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We are to put to death, crucify the passions of our flesh. It's not about us anymore. Our flesh is built on control and selfishness and pride, and we must surrender those things to God. We have to remove ourselves from the equation. And you may say, Steve, it's only natural for me to want to control. I'm just doing what's natural for me. It's natural for me to be selfish about every situation. It's natural for me to have pride in those things. And I would just say this, calling it natural doesn't mean that that behavior is beneficial or unchangeable. It's not essential. No, here's the thing. I don't want to be gross. I don't want to be gross. But it would be most natural for you to defecate in your pants. It would. You started out that way. Did you not have to be trained? You'll end up that way. It is most natural for me not to want to brush my teeth. We are trained in the unnatural all the time. We teach ourselves the unnatural until the unnatural becomes second nature. All self-discipline might be defined as teaching ourselves to do the unnatural. Dying to ourselves and living for Christ is unnatural to this flesh. But because we were purchased, we are not our own. And that means it's not about me anymore. It's not about my desires, my will. I have to get them out of the equation. I have to reteach what is natural for me to submit and do what is the nature of Christ in me. And let me tell you, that is so good for us. This is for our benefit. This is for our joy. Normally, I don't like to speak about uh, relational benefits of Christ because it can sell uh, a consumeristic lens of Jesus. We love Jesus. We live for Jesus based upon what he has done for us, not what he will give to me. And if we have that kind of mentality of what can, all sorts of tragic relational things happen in our walk with God. But there is a benefit for those who surrender to the way of God in very practical ways. There is a joy that comes from you getting yourself out of the equation, from you making this all about me. And there's lots of situations that 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 plays out in our lives. If we choose surrender, if we chose not to make it about ourselves, if we understand that life is a platform for me to be a little Christ in every avenue, it will go better for me. There is great joy for me. And so think about this way. We'll talk just in the practicalities of life. Like with my kids. Like I love my girls with all of my heart. But like parenting is hard stuff. Like parenting is hard. But what I have to learn every day as a Christ follower is I have to stop making my parenting about myself. It's not about me. My kid's goal in life, whether I believe it some days or not, is not to make my life difficult. Certainly there are days it feels like it. But that's not what they're trying to do. But if I'm abiding in my father, 
If I'm trusting in Jesus, if I, I understand that parenting is not even about me. It's every moment of my life with my kids being an opportunity for me, for me to show them the depths of my need for God's grace and mercy in my life. That he's all that I need. And because he's all that I want, I don't need acceptance from my kids. I don't need to find self-esteem through my kids. And so guess what? I could go to my kids and say, Daddy, sorry. I messed up there. I didn't do you right. Will you forgive me? I can humble myself in that. And what's great about parenting is it, it just changes us. God uses parenting to mold us. Have I told you how hard parenting is? I'm a better version of myself because of it. God is transforming me into a different person. I am simply a vehicle that God wants to use to show my kids his glory and his grace. My only job as a parent is to reveal to my kids their need for his grace and their lo- his love. To reveal the selfishness of their little heart and point them to the beauty and the sufficiency that is in God. Listen, our kids' performance or behavior is not the means for our own self-esteem. We don't put pressure on our kids to perform in a certain way so that we can look good. Like that will crush our kids. Your sufficiency is in Christ. It's not about you. God is all that you need and God is all that they need. You just got to get out of the way. Get out of the way. It's not about you. It's about his glory. And then in our relationships, think about this in our relationships. We get so bent out of shape when people disappoint us, when they fail us, when they don't live up to our own expectations. But like newsflash, who won't? Like in honesty, you won't. I won't. Like if you're going to put me as a pastor on a pedestal where you think that I don't have the capacity to disappoint you, I don't want to live on that pedestal. You don't hold yourself to that standard. I put myself at a high standard. But listen, every one of us is even disappointing to ourselves. You don't put that standard on yourself. Why do you put it on other people? Get out of the equation. It's not about you anymore. It's not about you, what people say about you, to you, what they do and they don't do. It's not about you. It's your pride that is wounded when you walk into those situations. It's your pride that makes you go to other people and say, could you believe what they did to me? It's not about you. Relationships are a gift that you get from God to work out your salvation, to do to one another, to encourage, to rebuke, to care, to carry each other's burden. That's how we are improved. It's how we become less and we, Jesus becomes more. And because I have sufficiency in Christ, guess what? When I mess up in a relationship, I can lower my pride and say, I treated you poorly. Because my only aim in relationship is to bring grace and truth into that relationship in a way that wants to bring reconciliation 
and peace, not in a way just to use as ammo to say, see, you failed me again. Get out of the equation. It's not about you. What could somebody say about you in error that you have that, that is far outweighed by how much the Father delights in you? doesn't mean we don't listen to people and take stock. Of, but what could somebody say to me that I don't have met in Jesus? And so I want you to consider this. In Colossians, in the first chapter, it says, For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Everything on earth, visible, invisible, made by him, for him. By him, for him. It means that there is a design in everything on this world that should be about him. Your kids, raising them, created by him, for him. For his glory, your gain. Your marriage, conceived by him, for him, for his glory, and your gain. Your marriages aren't your centrality of happiness. Marriage is about making you holy in a committed relationship where you get to see the absolute worst in each other. And by the means of gospel, grace, and love, help each other move to a more full image of Christ. Marriage created by God, for God, for his glory. Your families designed by God, for God, for his glory, and your gain. Your relationships created by God, for God, for his glory, and your gain, that you work out your salvation with one another, with grace and peace and love. Your work created by God, for God, for his glory and your gain. There is nothing more destructive to the world than a man with idle time. Work is for God, by God, for his glory. He has made everything invisible, invisible. He is the centrality of all the equations of life. It all is about him. And none of it is about you. Believer, none of it is about you. It's about you being an ambassador, a little Christ, in every opportunity, every platform, every supplication that comes your way. I have to get myself out of the equation. And here's where the joy is. It means that I don't have to be anything but God's. I don't have to make you like me. I don't, I don't even have to be enough for my kids because he's enough. There is joy with just saying, God, all I want is you. I don't care what they say about me. It's just you that I want. When we put ourselves in the middle of the equations, 
when we put ourselves in the middle of this life, we make it about ourselves, we rob God of his glory, and we rob ourselves of peace, contentment, and joy that is found in the transaction of the cross. And so, friends, let us be content to be nothing more than special, beautiful vessels of the Holy Spirit with our aim to be a telescope to the world that they may see the beauty and the power and the majesty of our God up close through our lives. Lives that are not about ourselves, but about him. Not about what we get, but what he did. And so this week, whatever reality that you walk in, in work, at home, in the community, will you remind yourself over and over again, it is not about me. It is not about me. It's not about me as a parent. It's about him. How is this going to be about him? I've got to get myself out of this equation over and over for my joy in his glory. Would you pray with me? So, Father, we just we confess today that we, more often than not, want to control our lives, that we love the thought of eternal life with you, that sometimes we treat it as a check mark that allows us just to live the way that we want. And so, Lord, will you compel to us in our hearts today, very really, that we were purchased, that you own us, that you saved us, that, Father, all that we would desire is to be a, a temple for your Holy Spirit, that we could be little Christ to the world, our only defining job in life, that you would, in our platforms, in our opportunities, in our supplications, help us to show who you are in your goodness, in your glory. God, we confess today, we confess just a desire to make this all about ourselves. And so God, will you remove us from that bondage that you would let us see with fresh eyes your beauty, your grace, your sufficiency, that you would help us just to get out of the way. And so, Father, we just love you and thank you that we have life everlasting, abundantly in your name. And we pray all of this in that holy name, Jesus. Amen.